Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, November 16th, guys. Awesome show. Way for the Pato, recurring guest from Pittsburgh, going to break down the Steelers' season so far. Uh, six and three in the AFC North. Who would have ever thought that? Uh, been winning some ugly games. Going to break down all that with him. Their season ahead and potentially even playoff chances. Or, well, they'll most likely make the playoffs at this point, but playoff, uh, what their outlook of the playoffs is going forward. I mean, again, such a surprising team this year. The Steelers have been, and we'll break it all down with him coming up in a second. But first, though, guys, I do want to talk about another team in the AFC North, the Browns. Just came out Wednesday that the Browns, uh, Deshaun Watson will be out for the rest of the year with that shoulder problem that he's been having. All I have to say on this, uh, I don't really have much else to say, but I mean, we all know the Browns were going to win games this year through their defense, but Deshaun Watson has actually been playing really well the last two weeks for the Browns. So this is a big hit. The Browns continue to be cursed, and I feel bad for the Browns, quite frankly. I mean, what do you guys think of this news coming out uh, yesterday? Lost him at the right time. Lost him at the wrong time, I meant to say. So he, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, that he was playing pretty well. And the Browns, I mean, they were they were an interesting team this year. They, they still are with their defense. And then they do have some offensive weapons as well. But the Browns, that's a very, very hard loss for them. Yeah, especially when you combine the fact that they're already without Nick Chubb for the rest of the season. So you don't have your starting quarterback, you don't have your starting running back. And this is coming after a second half where Deshaun Watson played the best football that he's played in years. I mean, definitely as best as a Brown, 14 for 14 in the second half. That version of the Browns could compete with anybody in the AFC without Deshaun Watson. This is not a Super Bowl contender, unfortunately. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see what they do at quarterback because the answer they could have had was Josh Dobbs. But remember, they traded him to Arizona before the season. I bet they would like to have him right now with what he's doing up at Minnesota. It's going to be P.J. Walker's team, it looks like, the rest of the year unless Tom Brady or Matt Ryan or somebody gets a call, which I don't expect to happen at this point. They're going to have to win games with their defense. And so far, that's been working out for them. But this is one of those moves that takes the Browns from – AFC contender right up there with Baltimore and Kansas City to they could be a playoff team but their ceiling is probably maybe win a playoff game and that's about it this is a devastating blow for the Browns yeah I mean they say defense wins games but only so much you still need offense in the NFL defense for the Browns is the best in the league but like I said it's only going to take them so far and you said, Zach, even the second half of last week, Deshaun Watson was playing well. But I even think the first half and then even the week prior to that, he was showing some flashes mm-hmm. of being back to his, uh, you, you know, back when he was a Texan, back in Texas. So, you know, it's a shame. Like you said, Nick Chubb is out too. Something to look forward to for next year, maybe for the Browns, though. I know they we've been saying that for probably the last 15 years. Yeah. But at the Browns, at least Deshaun Watson, he will be coming back, obviously, on that massive contract. Nick Chubb will be coming back too. And if they can kind of take what they built so far over the last couple of weeks, and especially on the defensive side the whole year. I don't know. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but maybe the Browns will be back next year. I don't – we've said that Man, before. But this though, has become a theme with Deshaun Watson. He's been banged up pretty much his entire career. Remember, he missed most of his rookie year with a torn ACL. He's very rarely mm-hmm. gone through a season without any form of injury. So maybe this is just who yeah. he is at this point. You know, this deep into his career, how much can you count on him elevating his game to the next level? It's, a, it's analogous to the Jets, too. It's a shame. I mean, such an awesome yeah. defense just being pretty much wasted. Let's be honest. It just, it's just being wasted. I do want to talk about, you know, a team that 
well, I don't know how the Browns has Especially in the AFC North, but... by the way, with how deep that division is. Because, I mean, the Browns in a week yeah. can go from maybe having a chance to win it to being in last place because the margin is just that thin with the Steelers, the Bengals, and the Ravens. Yep. Yeah, and we're, you know, we're going to talk all about that with Ray, too. But you're right. I mean, they were definitely in the, in the race with every other team uh, in there. Uh, somehow, even especially if the Ravens were in the, in the race somehow. Uh, let's go to the Bills news, guys. I do want to... One one more thing to touch up on on NFL before we move on to our you know college talk here. Ken Dorsey has been fired from the Bills. Offensive coordinator for, for the Bills has been fired. Uh, very bad loss off Monday Night Football. I mean, they've lost to some pretty bad teams, guys, this year. Jets, Patriots, Broncos. Josh Allen, let's just be honest, he's playing bad. Like he's Josh yeah. Allen is just not playing good football. He leads the league in turnovers and interceptions. And I feel bad for Ken Dorsey. Don't think it's all on him. But what do you guys think about this move, and especially the Bills going forward, sitting here at 5-5 five and five going into next week? There's going to be a new coach. There'll be a new coach next year, in my opinion. Ken Dorsey is just the first one, first shoe to drop. And the next one is probably going to be Sean McDermott after the season because I don't think the Bills are making the playoffs with the way the AFC North is playing and the way the AFC is playing in general. Yeah, I just think when you're the Bills, I mean, this this game was a major missed opportunity for them. This has to be one of those games that you win because look at what's coming up. The Jets, the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Chiefs. They have to go to Kansas City and go to Philadelphia, by the way. They still have to go to the Chargers. They still have to go to the Dolphins. Their schedule is just brutal down the stretch. And this is an offense that's very good, but the problem is they turn the ball over too much. Josh Allen, it seems like, is pressing. It seems like he's trying to do too much. Part of that's Ken Dorsey, but most of that is on the quarterback. And I think Ken Dorsey's just being used as a scapegoat here. I think Sean McDermott's going to be out of a job by the end of this. And maybe it's time to accept that this is what Josh Allen is. He is the modern-day Brett Favre. Josh Allen's going to make a lot of great throws, and he's going to do things that are spectacular highlights, and he's going to show flashes of why he's one of the three or four best quarterbacks in football. And then he's going to make a couple of throws like what we saw the other night, just an incredibly terrible interception near the end of the half to hand Denver three points, not being able to execute a handoff to James Cook. I mean, some of these turnovers are turnovers you don't expect rookies to have at this point. And the Bills are, you know, five and five, and they've lost three games at least because of turnovers. The Jets game, the Broncos game, and they've let a lot of golden opportunities get away, losing to the Patriots. Like This, this is a team that should be near what Baltimore is, what Kansas City is, and instead they're kind of stuck in the mud. And, you know, I have confidence in, you know, a team like the Bengals. I still think they've got a chance to make the playoffs. Their schedule is not quite as tough. The Bills' schedule, I think, is just too brutal, and things are going just so much off the rails. Outside of Stephon Diggs, they don't really have a consistent go-to offensive weapon. I don't think Buffalo's making the playoffs. Josh Allen might have to might have to say this. Josh Allen might be overrated. What do you think? Um, not yet. I say he's a top five quarterback, but I do not entertain him in any Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow conversations anymore. Yeah, he gets a lot more hype because he's so fun to watch. I think people do elevate his game Brett a little bit more just because he is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Brett Favre, like you said, Zach, is an awesome, awesome comparison. I think people think he might be a little bit better than he is just because he's had some breakaway games. And the Bills have been good. He's led the Bills, you know, to the playoffs for the first time and whenever, you know, we saw when he was when he was there. So, and like I said, I think he's just very fun to watch and has had awesome, awesome games where he's battled, you know, Joe Burrow and Mahomes. So I think it's one of those things where his tape and his eye test, I think, make it seem a little bit more, you know, better than he is. But that turnover problem that he has is 
just massive. Like I said, he leads the league currently in interceptions and turnovers. And I know last year that was a big problem for him too. He was definitely on the top of the list when it came to that last year as well. By the way, I know yes. it's not about Ken Dorsey, but can we give Russell Wilson and Sean Payton some credit here? This team was one in five. Yeah. They were the worst mm-hmm. defense in football. Everybody had already buried Russell Wilson, said his career was over. He's beaten the Chiefs and he's beaten the Bills in two of his last three games. Sean Payton's turned things around there. I don't think they're making the playoffs, but the Broncos are no longer a dumpster fire like they were a year ago. Well, we talked about it with Josh, uh, Josh Dover, uh, like two weeks ago at this point, cheese it might've been, but he talked about how, uh, the Broncos season has been kind of weird because, I, um, he started out the season really, really well, Mr. Incredible. And then he started to kind of drop off a little bit towards the, you know, week four, week five. And then the defense started to play really, really well when he started to drop yeah. off. But now it seems like the defense and uh, Wilson are starting to get a little, you know, Russell Wilson are starting to get a little bit better. You don't so, know this, by the way, um, but Russell Wilson, touchdown interception ratio, 18 to four. That's pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think Josh's biggest, when we talked about, when we talked to Josh last week, his biggest point was, we're going to get to a point here where Wilson and the defense are starting to play good at the same time. We've kind of yeah. had a seesaw the whole year where one was playing good, one was playing bad, but now they're starting to play really, you know, they're playing good together and they definitely have a chance to still make the playoffs. And I would call it even Broncos a team that wouldn't want to be faced in the playoffs. Yeah. How about a couple of weeks ago, everybody was mocking NBC for not flexing out of Vikings Broncos. All of a sudden that is actually a compelling game now. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, interesting. I mean, the, that that game, I mean, sure, there might be games to flex out in the future, you know, primetime otherwise, but the Broncos and, and Vikings, not a bad no, game. Not a bad not game on Sunday Night Football. Who would have thought the Broncos were going to miss the playoffs and or make the playoffs, excuse me, and the Bills could have a chance to miss the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, you look at the Broncos' schedule coming up. Vikings, come. Uh, that's – Thursday night football, Sunday. I believe. Sunday night. And they're done yeah. playing the Chiefs. They've already Sunday. played them twice. Sunday. They don't have to worry about them anymore. And they yep. split. Yep. But I'm looking at their schedule. They play the Browns. Obviously, we just talked about the Sean Watson being out. They're, they have a chance with that game. Texans will be hard Chargers for sure. Chargers twice. For the Texans. Chargers twice, which I think they'll get at least one of those yeah. games. Then they do play the Lions as well. But the other, other games they have are the Patriots and Raiders. Uh, which could be wins too. But yeah, no, this is, like I said, I think the magic number for a wild card spot in the AFC is probably nine games. And yeah, they have definitely a chance. It's there. Yeah. Broncos making the playoffs and Bills miss. That's definitely had that that on my bingo card in preseason. For for sure. Yeah. Moving on to college football guys, week 11 recap. Start off with Washington. Mm -hmm. Uh, Washington, I think it's the first time they're 10 and 0 since 1991, I believe. Definitely on pace uh, to at least go to the Pac-12 title game and maybe on a collision course with Oregon for the Pac-12 title game and outside looking in again for the third week in a row with these college football playoffs, uh, outside looking in uh, going into New Year's season here, the holiday season. Uh, What do you guys think about Washington and their play that they played against the Utah uh, Utes? Ugly game, all things Yeah, 35-28. I thought it was a pretty compelling game. Michael Penix threw the ball very well. He's the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. I don't think there's any question about it. They actually have a running game as well with Dylan Johnson that's really started to come on these last couple weeks. They can get in a shootout and beat anybody at this point. The big question for Washington going forward is going to be their defense. Can they get enough stops? Can they get a couple of turnovers? Because this isn't a dominant defense. But they were able to shut out Utah uh, for the last 18 minutes or so of that game. On Saturday, they've got a big one this week, though, on the road at Oregon State. They're actually underdogs in that game, believe it or not. But all they got to do is get to the Pac-12 championship game 
at worst case, 11-1, and one, have a rematch with Oregon, and they got a real chance to make the playoff. And I personally think they should be number four ahead of Florida State because their resume is better. They have the best win that anybody has in college football this year, beating Oregon. They have a win against Utah. They have a win against USC. Florida State's best win is LSU, and their second best win is Clemson or Duke. So as far as I'm concerned, Washington should be at least number four, and I couldn't even entertain ranking them ahead of Michigan right now just based on pure resume. Washington's for real. Yeah, no, it's um, we talked about with Brandon, Brandon Gustafson uh, this past week and on Saturday's show. Do you think whoever wins the Pac-12 is going to make it have a bid to the playoff or yeah, bid, bid to the oh, yeah, whoever wins Pac-12 is going to make the playoff. And I think in all likelihood, whoever wins that game probably wins the Heisman Trophy. It'll either be them, either it will either be Penix, Bo Nix, Marvin Harrison Jr. I think those are your three Heisman candidates at this point. Yeah, Bo Nix this past weekend, uh, 412 yards, four touchdowns, 23 for 21. Had a great game for himself. But yet, but Mike, you know, the age old question with the playoffs, though, is who gets taken out? Do you think it's Florida State, the winner of the Pac 12? Oh, Florida State's going to win the ACC. I know Louisville's out there, and they're the only ones that have a chance outside of uh, Florida State. But my guess is the Knowles will win the ACC. Like I said uh, last show, I think. If I had to pick one team to make the playoff right now, it would be Florida State. I don't necessarily think they're the best team, but I think they've got the easiest path to get there. My question was, who gets taken out uh, for the Pac-12 champion? Ooh, well, Ohio State or Michigan, they're going to – Well, Ohio State or Michigan, (laughs) one of them's going to drop. So, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, actually. Might be Michigan. I mean – even though they're ten and zero, I mean, with with the whole Harbaugh situation and everything going on there, maybe they should just drop out of the playoffs. I, mean, I wouldn't argue it, especially if Ohio, yeah, especially if Ohio State beats them. Yeah. And obviously, you got Florida State and Washington as well. Yeah, if Ohio State beats Michigan, yeah. then Michigan's going to get dropped like a fly. Nobody wants any part of them in the postseason unless they have to be. <laughs> I was just about to say, I mean, the committee wants Michigan to lose in two weeks against Ohio. They want Michigan to lose so yes. bad against Ohio. So State. does everybody outside do of Michigan. Have, yeah. Yeah. They know. Yeah. Especially the committee making the decisions, though, and having to like deal with everyone and deal with all the you know media scrutiny. They they do not want Michigan winning against Ohio State coming up in two weeks. They do not want to deal with that bag of worms uh, one bit. Let's move on, though. Uh, Oregon, USC. Uh, yeah, Oregon USC guys. We just talked about it a little bit with Bo Nix. He had an awesome game. Lincoln Riley still not taking defense seriously. Firing Grinch not the solution. Defense still awful. That's all my biggest takeaways. What else do you guys want to say about this game? I mean, and they didn't give up forty expected. points. Give them a little credit. They only gave up thirty six. <laughs> yep, it's college football. It's you know if it's the NFL, they have the thirty two ranked defense. But I mean, USC's got to start recruiting some defense, and that's what Lake and Riley has to do. Yeah, Oregon's really good. I don't think anybody uh, – that's not a revelation yeah. to anybody. Bo Nix had another big game. They've got a great back in Bucky Irving. I mean, Oregon just took care of business, and that's the first time that we've seen – or second time, with Notre Dame game being the other one, that Caleb Williams didn't really do much. USC did have a chance at the end there, though, to kind of come back, make it interesting. But besides that, it was – Definitely um, what we expected. Yeah. Shootout of a match. Bo Nix was going to play well. And, yeah, USC's defense was going to lose in the game. Georgia, guys. Georgia yeah. beating Ole Miss. Best win of the season so far for them. I mean, 
Playoff committee thinks they're the clear number one favorite right now. Do we also think they're the clear number one favorite? I can't argue against it. I mean, they just beat Missouri and they beat Ole Miss in back-to-back weeks. Missouri was kind of a challenge. Ole Miss was not a challenge. But they get Brock Bowers back. Carson Beck's playing well. This is the version of Georgia that we've seen in the last two years. They're dominant in the running game. They were dominant defensively. Shut down Jackson Dart. Shut down Quitshot Junkins. Yes, he had two touchdowns, but he had less than 70 yards rushing. This was the most complete performance of the year for Georgia and this is the version that is heading on a collision course with the three feet. Yeah, and Alabama too. I think Alabama now will be will, will play SEC. Will, they, I yeah, think they, they already are, clinched. It's now the settled. SEC title game is Alabama. Yep, and that's set. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. Yeah, do you think Alabama has a chance to kind of make the playoffs? Absolutely. Give Georgia Alabama right now. You be. could argue is playing better than anybody in the country outside of perhaps Georgia. I mean, Alabama, Jalen Milrow is no longer a caretaker. This guy is an absolute weapon offensively. Back-to-back weeks, he's rushed for three touchdowns, and in this past game against Kentucky, he threw for three touchdowns. Why isn't he a part of the Heisman Trophy mix right now? He absolutely should be. Alabama is not a team that I want to play right now. Yeah, um, yes. I think it's. Uh, I think only the second time uh, – quarterback had three rushing touchdowns in two consecutive times. I mean, I know he's been out for a little bit of time, Jalen Miro, but it's only been the second time in the history of college football, I think, that a quarterback has had two consecutive games where they rushed for three touchdowns. Um, so I think Cam Newton might have actually have been the other one. I have to kind of look into that. I was going to say, it's either him yeah. or Tebow, because Tebow always used to have all those goal line mm-hmm. rushing touchdowns. No, I think it was Cam yeah, Newton. that makes yeah. sense. So, yeah, Milrow's back. And that's scary. And we can actually go right into that. I mean, Alabama came out, did their thing as well this past weekend. And my, my biggest takeaway, again, we already talked about it, but Milrow, Milrow and uh, Alabama are playing, like you said, Zach, probably their best football right no now. Question. I don't really have anything else to say about Alabama. But they're coming for Georgia in the title game, and that's going to be an amazing game to watch going forward. Uh, Missouri, Tennessee. Last thing we'll talk about in the uh, SEC, other than Jimbo Fisher coming up in a second here, but Missouri's defense comes up pretty big, guys. Uh, Cody Schrader, uh, he should have recognition for Heisman for sure. The running back for Missouri played absolutely insane on Saturday. Uh, he ran for 205 yards, had five catches for 116, so over 300 total yards of offense, and he actually leads the SEC uh, and ranks nine in all of college football with 112 rushing yards per game obviously not going to win the Heisman not a running back not especially not with all the other quarterbacks uh this year but still should have recognition in Missouri definitely as a team in general this chef that should have recognition especially on their offense or on their defensive side of the ball yeah yeah it's a very underrated team in Missouri and uh they they've had some impressive wins this year I know they're probably not going to be a, a playoff team just yet but they're going to be playing in a bowl game that's that's for sure Oh, yeah, they might be in a New Year's Six Bowl by the time this is over. They're going to win 10 games in all likelihood because their last two are Florida and Arkansas, and they put it on Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee's very good, but I give Missouri a ton of credit for dominating that game the way they did. Uh, Brady Cook's a very good quarterback. Schrader's fantastic. And now they've bumped George up to number one because Missouri jumped into the top 10 after this win, and that's a very good team. Uh. Talked about Jimbo Fisher already on Tuesday's show. He's out for Texas A&M. Uh, we already talked about all that at length. But I do want to let's move on then to the Big Ten. Michigan, 
handled its business against Penn State without hardball. Hardball, obviously, as we all know, uh, did take his first of the three-game suspension that he has at the end of the year here. Michigan, I mean, absolutely came out and dominated Penn State. Michigan did not even attempt one pass the entire second half. I think they had They did attempt one, but it was called pass interference, so not officially. Oh, okay. Yeah. So 33 straight, 33 straight rushing attempts for yep. Michigan. What do you guys think about this? I mean, we talked about Michigan earlier on the show with, you know, their Ohio State matchup coming up in two weeks here. But overall, pretty impressive without hardball. As I said, I mean, James Franklin, as I said on the Tuesday show, is the most overrated head coach in college football. He's 4-16 and 16 against Michigan, St- Michigan, Ohio State, and the, basically the top teams in college football and the Big Ten. I mean, I mean, when is this guy going to be the top 10 team? When is this guy going to, you know, get into the fray, the Big Ten and college football? I don't know. I yeah. mean, he recruits some some good athletes there. They, they've had Saquon Barkley. They've had some other good players in Penn State. But this is, he is the most overrated coach in college football. And losing to an interim coach at Michigan without Harbaugh, That'll just, that's just, I mean, yeah. that says it all right there. It's going to be the most underwhelming 10-2 and two season ever because they're not really going to beat anybody of substance and they lost their two big games. And this is essentially the same game that we saw against Ohio State a couple weeks ago. James Franklin is due to make a bad coaching move in every game and he, he, his offense just isn't ready to go. Drew Hour looks like he's never played competitive football before at the quarterback position. They're going on, what, their sixth offensive coordinator? It's going to be a sixth offensive coordinator since he got the Penn State job back in 14. It's an unstable situation up there. And it's not good when a team can just run the ball down your throat 33 straight times and you're still not able to, to come up with something. Now, the Penn State defense played well enough for them to win this game. But the Penn State offense certainly did not. You can't When you can't run the ball, you can't throw the ball, kind of hard to do anything offensively. And I might have something to say about Michigan when it comes to my faker a little bit later. But if J.J. McCarthy only throws the ball eight times and you still can't win that game, that is an indictment on Penn State. Yeah, I mean, Penn State's defense is not a bad – I mean, they're one of the most elite defenses in the they're league. They're fantastic. They held Maryland almost – yeah, they held Maryland almost negative 50 rushing yards the week prior. Um, Their defense deserves you know, better than what they've got. Like if they, When you hold Michigan and Ohio State to combine 44 points, you you think you're going to win at least one, if not both. Yeah, uh, Blake Corum, though, I have to say it again. I think he might have even had a chance to win the Heisman next last year if it wasn't for his, you know, him getting oh, he hurt. Would've. Blake Corum, yeah, I think he, he would have absolutely – he definitely would have won the Heisman. He played amazing against Penn State. He's been playing amazing all year. He absolutely carved up Penn State's defense, like we just talked about. Defense couldn't, you know, you know, defense could not hold up the run game at all. And like you said, Zach, they should have definitely won this game if, uh, you know, given just how Michigan even played this whole second half without even passing the ball technically. Uh, but yeah, Blake Corum, this game, awesome game for him. Again, 145 yards and two touchdowns. Definitely will be seeing his name come up more down the line because he's been playing absolutely amazing. And like I said, would have stayed healthy last year. That Heisman, that Heisman Trophy would have been his last year over Caleb Williams. Um, Dylan Gabriel, let's move on to the Pac-12. Absolutely destroys WU. Uh, eight touchdowns of the week, or eight touchdowns last week. He's. I'm going to talk to him about talk about him. Excuse me, a little bit later with for my maker of the week. 
But yeah, I mean, absolutely just destroys WVU. WVU coming off that impressive win against BYU the week prior where they absolutely destroyed BYU, especially on the run game. But again, uh, tale of two, uh, two games here, WVU did not show up like they did last week. And uh, Oklahoma comes in and absolutely destroys uh, West Virginia. Yeah, that I mean, I thought West Virginia had a chance to keep that game competitive. Give full credit to Oklahoma for getting off the mat and – Dylan Gabriel was fantastic. I mean, this is a Sooner team that still has a chance for the Big 12 because, I mean, there's a five-way tie for second after Texas. So we're pretty sure Texas is going to be there. We've just got to figure out who's going to play them in that Big 12 championship game. Very impressive stuff out of Oklahoma. And, you know, a spot where they could have easily kind of folded. They didn't. They still got a chance to win the Big 12. Let's move on to Texas, though. I mean, what do you guys think of Texas at this point? Struggled against TCU last week. November is the time for playoff teams like Texas to kind of separate themselves from a playoff contender or a contender in the New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl. Had some impressive games this year. Obviously, we already know that. But like I said, they should be blowing out teams like TCU. I mean, what do you think about Texas, guys? Where do you, what do you make of them at this point? I mean, what are your thoughts on them, especially, especially as we head, you know, into the end of the season here, only two weeks left and, you know, the – playoff and bowl season coming up as well. Right around well, the they didn't have Quinn Ewers the last couple of weeks, so getting him back, I think that's mm-hmm. going to take a little bit of time. TCU's a scrappy team. I mean, they still played in the national title game last year. They've had success against Texas at home, so I don't make too much of Texas struggling to win that game. The bigger problem is going to be Jordan Brooks towards ACL, and he's out for the season, so they're going to have to rely on a freshman, C.J. Baxter, who's more than cap- capable of taking on the load, but let's see if he can handle it, but I think this is still a very good Texas team, dominant in the trenches. Uh, They have that Alabama win, which is going to carry the day for this team. If they go on and win the Big 12, I still think there's a really good chance they make the playoff. But they got a tough game this week on the road at Iowa State, another place that they've historically struggled. But let's just go ahead and say this. These are the kind of games that Texas is notorious Mm -hmm. for losing the last couple years. They always get up to play Oklahoma. They always get up for the big games. TCU, Iowa State, those are the games that they've routinely lost and kept them from being back. Texas is finding ways to win those games, so they deserve credit for that. Yeah, I was going to ask. I was going to ask you that. I mean, is any chance a Big Twelve team being Texas? That is probably the yeah. only one. I think Iowa State's got a shot this weekend. I mean, that's a place where Texas has struggled. Iowa State's running game is very good, and if Jordan Brooks, if they can't uh, react quickly to not having him, then that game could be a lot closer than people think. Matt Campbell has been known to pull off home upsets against top ten teams before, so. Yeah, I think that is a tough spot for Texas. I, I don't know if they're – at seven and a half points, I don't know if they're going to cover. I do think Texas will figure out a way to win. But it, like I said, these are the kind of games that Texas has historically lost. If they can win and get themselves the Big 12 championship game, kind of shows Texas might be, as they say, back. Do they have to blow out Texas Tech and Iowa State, though, to have a chance in no, the playoffs? That's my question. I don't question. think so. I mean, you yeah. look at what's ahead of them. They can't really control what happens with Georgia. Can't control what happens with Ohio State, Michigan, or Florida State, or Washington. They're going to need one of those teams to lose eventually, anyway, regardless yeah. of what they do. And if Alabama beats Georgia, you can't put Alabama in the playoff ahead of Texas. Texas won by 10 in Alabama. Yeah, I mean, the only way I could really see it is Florida State would have to lose. That's the only reason that, that's the only way I see Texas making it. But, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, again, who knows? That's not my job. That's the community's job. We'll see what they can do. <laughs> Moving on to the ACC, Duke and UNC, guys. Awesome, awesome game against Duke and UNC. Two powerhouses of the ACC this year, you know, outside of Louisville, showing out, showing us that 
this rivalry is not only good for basketball, but they can be exciting for football too. Went the two overtime. And like I said, two teams in the ACC, that being Duke and UNC, that have really blown expectations uh, this year for their two programs. And it kind of accumulated into a nice, uh, you know, two overtime battle uh, this past Saturday. Oh, yeah, fantastic game, and a game that North Carolina had to scrape to win. Drake May played well in the second half. Duke going down to their backup quarterback. I mean, he took them right downfield, gave them the lead with less than a minute to go. North Carolina comes down and ends up kicking a field goal, and this this is a North Carolina team that's weird. They've blown out most of the better teams they play, but they've lost a couple games that they shouldn't have, and they've struggled you know, with Appalachian State, with Duke, games that you thought that they should probably win easily. And yet this team still has an opportunity to win 10 games and has an outside shot perhaps at the Orange Bowl, depending on what happens with Louisville this week against Miami. But, I mean, that that's why we love robbery games yeah. right there. Last comment about, I guess, the last week of news uh, in the college football realm. Before moving on to, you know, previewing Week 12 ahead, a lot of speculation about Deion Sanders taking the Texas A&M job. Coming out with quotes, making it sound like that's not going to happen. He's not interested. I don't think that's really the chance. If he ever wants a chance to compete for a championship, it's going to be his best shot. Will be at A and M. Uh, what do you guys think about this? I mean, he's not going to get a lot of NIL funding to Colorado. Uh, SEC money is much, much different. Like I said, if he wants a chance to win this championship or win a championship uh, during his career as a college football coach, I think his best shot, his best shot will be at Texas A and M. And you know, it makes so much sense for both sides as well. But like he is, he's saying, and he's alluding to, it's not going to happen. And I want to know, like, do you guys believe that? Do you think there's no chance that he goes to Texas A&M next year? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't rule it out. I would not rule it out if he goes to an SEC school or to Florida State. He's obviously a Florida State alum there in the ACC. And then the SEC, I, I could absolutely see him going to Texas A&M. They have the money. They have the resources in that college football program. I could, I could see... I could see Dion going there potentially, or maybe even going to any SEC school if he doesn't win anything at Colorado or he doesn't want to stay at Colorado. But I I think maybe he might have to stay for another year or two at Colorado. Maybe not have to, but I I, I think he I think he should at least stay there next year. Maybe another year or two at Colorado. But if not, I think this would be the, a better opportunity for him to go to A&M or to go outside of Colorado to win a title. Yeah. Moving on, guys. Nick, unless, Zach, you have anything to say about that. But moving on, college football week 12 preview. Zach, we're going to start with you. What is your closest game of the week heading into Saturday? I'm going to go with Utah and Arizona. It's a shame this game's on the mm-hmm. Pac-12 network because Arizona, uh, I'll tell you what, Jed Fish has done an incredible job. Two years ago, they won one game. They were one of the worst programs, if not the worst program in the Power Five. And now they've got a multitude of ranked wins this year. They're 7-3, and three, and they're up into the top 20 in the playoff poll. And they're doing this with their backup quarterback in Noah Fafita. He's been great this year, 16 touchdowns four interceptions. He wasn't expected to be the guy in preseason. He certainly is the guy now. But you look at Utah, probably should have won last week, or they were very competitive against Washington. You know how physical that team is. And Arizona, it's a tough place to play, but Utah is a seasoned veteran team. Arizona's only a one-point favorite in this game. I think this has barn burner written all over it, maybe a 28-27 kind of game. I think this will be the closest game of the week. 
Yeah, you got to bring you know bring in Jonah Coleman too. He's been playing yes. amazing for Arizona. Uh, ran for 179 yards on 11 carries last week. That's <laughs> over 16 yards per carry. The duo of Jonah Coleman's and Noah Fafita have been absolutely amazing to watch. I mean, he's been coming out. They've been breaking out together. This is also my closest game of the week, Zach. Arizona, one of the hottest teams in the Pac-12 right now. I mean, they really are one of the hottest teams. Obviously, not one of the best teams. Oregon, Washington, take that title. But three ranked wins in a row and a win last week against Colorado where they handled them pretty handily. Well, Colorado put up a fight. But Arizona has carried over 275 yards of passing while also rushing for 152 yards per game. Arizona has won the turnover differential in all of those previous matchups they've had the last three to four weeks. They're an absolute dangerous, dangerous team. I mean, Utah's defense is legit, though. Um, maybe not so much last weekend, but they can't stop the run and don't give up as many points. Or, I'm sorry, they, they can stop the run, and they really just don't give up any points allowed. Only 18 points per game does the team really give up. They've they're absolutely dominant on offense, and they're going to give Arizona an absolute run for their money, give them a tough time on offense, moving the ball down the field. Um, so, yeah, definitely, like you said, Zach, this is going to be my closest game of the week as well. Justin, what's your closest game of the week? I got North Carolina and Clemson. I think that's going to be a very close game. Clemson's defense is number sixth ranked, believe it or not, and North Carolina's offense is third ranked. And uh, I could I could see this being a close game. Clemson has won their last three games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've won their last two games, I meant. And uh, I, it, the game will be at Clemson. So I, I see North Carolina and Clemson being a very close game here. Most intriguing storyline. Zach, what is your most intriguing storyline this week in the Watch Out? We're court? overdue for an upset, it feels like, aren't we? I think there's a couple games that mm-hmm. fit this. Georgia-Tennessee. Remember last year, Tennessee beat Alabama on Rocky Top. We know what an atmosphere that was. It's going to be just as insane on Saturday. I'm not saying Tennessee's going to win that game, but Georgia's coming off playing two big games in a row against Missouri and Ole Miss. Will it wear on them as they hit the road for the first time? This is the first time that, ten- that Georgia's really played a tough road game this year. In fact, it's only their second true road game of the season in late November. That is incredible to believe at this point. I think that's going to be a fascinating game. But the one I got my eyes on, Washington, Oregon State. Oregon State is a two and a half point favorite at home against an undefeated Washington team. Oregon State is a team that has a chance to kind of wreck some things because their last two games are Washington and Oregon. So the road to the Pac-12 championship, although Oregon State probably won't win it, they're going to have a large say in who's can who is going to win the Pac-12. They've got a great running back in Dennis Martinez, and they got a veteran quarterback in DJ Uyugalale. Oregon State, don't be surprised if they pull the upset at home this week against Washington. Great pronunciation. Um, Uyugalale had a lot of practice. Yeah. <laughs> Uyugalale. <laughs> great, yeah, great pronunciation. No, and Oregon State's an awesome team. We forget about how good Oregon State is. I mean, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I think they have a chance. I mean, like you said, Dak, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks uh, coming down the stretch for the team, and they definitely have a chance to, to wreck some things going forward. Uh, speaking of wrecking, last year, Tulane uh, beat the Caleb Williams-led USC team in the Cotton Bowl. Awesome win. So my most intriguing storyline, can Tulane establish themselves as the best group of five school uh, this year? Uh, team from last year, again, it was, as we know from that awesome uh, bowl win they had against Caleb Williams, Pretty much the whole team, the core, coming back. Still have Michael Pratt as QB. He's been playing really good. Um, 
I think they're going to definitely establish themselves as the time, you know, once the end of the year comes, I think Tulane will establish themselves as the best of the group of five schools. Um, in the past four weeks, they have barely scraped together four wins, but they've all been impressive wins against North Texas, Rice, East Carolina, and Tulsa. Um, still, I mean, one loss to the season, and that was only Ole Miss. Obviously a qualifying loss for them, quality loss for them. I mean, just being Ole Miss, have a great program as they are. And so, yeah, I think Tulane will definitely establish himself as the best team in the Power Five schools at the end of the year. And, you know, my ne- my most intriguing storyline is how these next two weeks shape up and if they're able to really do that, uh, you know, once uh, we you know once we get into December here. Justin, what is your most intriguing storyline? My most intriguing storyline is going to be Kansas State and Kansas. That's going to be a very big matchup in the Big 12. And I'm I'm going to see – we're going to see – how uh, how Kansas State can really bounce back here, and how how these uh, how these teams really match up for the Big Twelve title could be could be a I mean whoever wins this game could be in the Big Twelve championship for sure. Yeah. Uh, surprise of the week, Zach. I think you might have already said it, but any other thing you want to say about a surprise of the week? I know you have Oregon State. Uh, yep. You know, in radar, but any other, any other surprises you you're looking at? No, that was going to be my surprise: Oregon State over Washington. Um, let's go elsewhere. I do think Iowa State's got a real shot against Texas. I'm not going to pick them to win the game, but I think they'll cover the seven and a half. And then uh, Louisville, Miami. I think that's going to be very intriguing. The betting line's been going back and forth on this. Louisville was a one point favorite. Now Miami is a half point favorite in this game. And it, it's odd to think that a number ten team on the road against a six and four team. The spread is the way that it is, but I completely get it because Miami's a tough, t- tougher team at home. Uh, they're coming off a physical game last week against Florida State, but they do have a veteran quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke. Yes, he's had his struggles this year, but if he plays well, Miami's got a real chance to win that game. Louisville is looking ahead potentially next week against Kentucky, and they're coming off a game against Virginia where they really were fortunate to kind of win that game in the fourth quarter. So. I think there's a couple of chances for intriguing upsets, but I, I'm going to go with Oregon State beating Washington. Washington's been due for a loss these last couple weeks of the way they played against Arizona State, Stanford, and even Utah. I think this is the time it'll get them. No, yeah, we said it earlier in the show too. Washington has been definitely looking beatable the last four weeks for sure. You know, especially being a you know top five team, which many people think they are. So my uh, surprise of the week, Houston is going to take down Oklahoma State this week. I don't know how much of a surprise this is. Oklahoma State is not a top 25 team in the country. They should not have been uh, ranked in the top 25 when they played Oklahoma. Um, So, yeah, I think Houston is definitely a much better team than people think. Uh, Houston's Donovan Smith is quietly playing pretty well altogether. I mean, he's 20 touchdowns on the season, just under 2,500 yards. So they've been having some dynamic passing play. Smith is completing 70% of his passes for 378 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception against AP top 25 teams. So Houston's definitely not a team to sleep on. I think Oklahoma State is overrated, all things considered, especially, you know, with how they played the last two, three weeks here. And if, you know, Smith, Donovan Smith, QB for Houston, if he can elevate his game and play at the performance he's done against Cincinnati last week, you know, and like I said, against he's done against other AP top 25 teams, I think he will uh, beat Oklahoma State. He will go into Oklahoma and take down the Cowboys. And uh, that's my upset of the week. Houston over Oklahoma State. Justin, what is your surprise of the week? I got Iowa State over Texas. I think this is going to be a major upset of the week. Texas, 
being a top 10 team, they're going to fall out of the top 10 this week with the quarterback carousel and everything else. I think Iowa State wins. Shootout of the week. Uh, Zach, we'll start with you. What is a shootout of the week? I'm going with UCLA and USC. These are two teams that pretty much don't have much to play for at this point, but they're going to score a lot of points. UCLA's offense is getting a little bit better as of late, but I think they're going to play inspired because a lot of people believe Chip Kelly's going to be out of a job at UCLA after the season, so I expect their best performance. And Caleb Williams and the Trojans finally get to not play a top-10 team, and I think they're going to take full advantage of it. I think USC is going to score a lot. I think UCLA is going to score the over-under for this game, 65-and-a-half. I think it's going to be an easy over here. Yeah, no, I'm going to take on that too. Um, UNC Clemson have been playing awesome so far. I mean, they've been playing, well, not awesome, but very good offenses, all things considered. Clemson ranks 49th in total offense this year at 408 yards per game. Kate Klubnick developing pretty well under Dabo, all things considered. He's thrown for just under 2,300 passing yards and has led Clemson to some pretty, some pretty nice victories this year and at least have stopped the bleeding for Clemson at, for an overall bad year for Dabo under his standards. He's completing 63% of his passes and 18 touchdowns compared to seven interceptions on the season. North Carolina's, North Carolina's offense, though, also not something to turn ahead to. I mean, they've been leading the way for the team. It ranks third best in the FBS with 520 total yards per game. Uh, pass offense has been excelling, posting 322 passing yards per game. Rushing ranks 19th. Best by generating 200 rushing yards per contest as well. UNC has been explosive all year. Drake May, obviously Heisman contender, probably the number one overall pick in the draft next year. Offense are going to be explosive in this game. And so, yeah, I'm taking I'm taking this as my shootout of the week as well. Justin, what is your shootout of the week? UCLA, USC. This is easily the mm-hmm. shootout of the week. USC, defensively, we already, we've already touched on it. I mean, they've just allowed points left and right. And, UCLA, they have something to play for. They're going to have a lot to play for. I think this is going to be a shootout and a very close game. Opposite end of the spectrum. Let's do Iowa, or let's do our <laughs> snoozer of the week. Zach, we'll start. <laughs> we'll start. Yeah, well, I think we already know what's going to be our snoozer of the week. Oh, t- 40 and slip Yeah, there. typically. What's uh, your snoozer yeah, of the week? Yeah, typically Iowa games. I mean, they're playing Illinois this yeah. week. But I'm going to give a shout-out as well, or a non-shout-out, to the entire SEC. This is who they're playing this week. Alabama's playing Chattanooga. Ole Miss is playing Louisiana Monroe. Mississippi State, Southern Miss, Texas A&M, Abilene Christian, Auburn, New Mexico State. You get the point. The SEC does this every single year where the week before robbery games, they stop playing good competition. They play a wasted non-conference game. It's an absolute disgrace that should be punished more by the playoff committee, and I don't understand why people don't make a bigger deal out of this. This should not be happening this late in the season. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely a good point. Uh, not the best week for the SEC, that's for sure. Uh, I'm going to go with Iowa, <laughs> Illinois. We already kind of talked on it a little bit. Um, Illinois was awful all season until they turned it around, going three for two of their past five games. Still not a bad, or still not a good offense though. Iowa is one of the worst good teams ever, probably. <laughs> Absolutely no offense, but all defense. Somehow ranked 16 going into this weekend. Uh, matchup against Illinois will likely be another defensive battle. Hawkeyes put up their best point differential against a Big Ten opponent this season last week when they played Rutgers. Obviously, blew them out twenty-two to nothing. That even even getting twenty-two points, uh, people were very surprised about from Iowa. That's never a good sign. They are absolutely so boring to watch. Cannot you know run the ball down the down the down the uh, you know field at all. Have 
absolutely, absolutely, absolutely lackluster offense. So boring to watch. Illinois is coming off a shootout that no one expected either in their 48 to 55 overtime victory victory against Indiana last weekend. Yeah, I mean, both these teams are not going to have two great offensive games in a row. Iowa, like I said, and in Illinois. You know, last week's were definitely flukes for the teams, for their offenses. It's not going to happen again. This is going to be an absolute barn burner defensive battle. Over-under right now is 30 under. and a half. I'm even surprised. Under. It's yeah, Iowa. Definitely always bet the under. the under. Yeah. Yep, always bet the under. Yep. Just like USC, always bet the over whenever USC right. plays. But um, in this case, Iowa, always bet the under. And I'm going definitely, definitely going under with thirty under the 35 and a half point set for this game. Uh, Justin, what is your snooze of the week? Wake Same. Forest and Notre Dame. Oh, That's an okay. easy snoozer here. I mean, Wake Forest doesn't have anything to play pretty much. Four and six record. Notre Dame, not going to be a bowl team, but they're definitely, well, they will play in a bowl game, but they they will not be a top 10 team. Top top 20 team, obviously. So I think, I think this should be a blowout for Notre Dame, but this is going to be a snoozer. Favorites of the week. Guys, who do you have as who, who do you have as a lock winning this week, Zach? We'll I'm going double feature here. Michigan and Ohio State. They're not getting going to get caught looking ahead to next week. They're going to take care of business. Michigan's on the road at Maryland. Maryland's been a pesky team at times this year, but you know Maryland is too turnover prone. I think Michigan takes care of business there. Ohio State against Minnesota. Golden Gophers offense isn't all that explosive, and you have to be going up against an Ohio State defense that's averaging less than ten points per game. So I'm going double feature here. They're both going to win, win easily. And then we get set for next week. I'm going to go with Oregon over Arizona State. Sun Devils have looked pretty bad all year. They've definitely been below expectations. Bo Nix, current Heisman favorite, probably. I mean, four touchdowns, four, uh, 412 yards last week against USC, like we already said. Oregon playing awesome football down the stretch. Definitely something to prove. Want to make it, want to have a crash course with, in the Big 12 championship against Washington. Uh, they have to get through ASU first, and I don't think they have any doubt about that. Uh, they played uh, – Sun Devils have actually played pretty close games against Washington and Colorado, surprisingly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, still, I don't think uh, Oregon's not going to have a problem with Arizona State. They're Or, yeah, Arizona State, they're not going to, you know, lose their chances of even a Big 12 title or maybe, maybe even a playoff contention. So they're going to handle Arizona State very, very handily. And, yeah. Current line, 23-and-a-half, and I think uh, I actually will take Oregon to even take that because Bo Nix has been playing absolutely amazing, and they really, really want to see Washington again going down the stretch. Justin, what is your favorite of the week? Favorite of the week, I got Florida State over North Alabama. This is an easy lock. Florida State is just going to wipe the floor with them. We know that already. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Complaintive of the week. Uh, Zach, what's up with you? What is your complaintive of the uh, week? My complaint of the week is get better primetime games, but this week I think we're actually okay with the Ravens and the Bengals. We got the Vikings and the uh, Broncos, and then Monday night's going to be fantastic. Eagles, Chiefs, Super Bowl rematch, perhaps Super Bowl preview. So not really a list of complaints from that standpoint, uh, but my complaint is going to be why on earth was Giants-Cowboys on Fox as long as it was? Could we not watch Commanders-Seahawks? Can the NFL change their rules so that, you know, the game that we're scheduled to watch, is if it's not in our home market, if it's a blowout, and there's a better game on. Can we put the other game on? Like, do we really need to show Cooper Rush throwing two touchdown passes in garbage time against the Giants? I, I don't think anybody really needed to see that. So I think the NFL needs to do a better job of serving the fans. And I know 
peeped it's a slippery slope with the red zone channel and with Sunday ticket and everything. I just want to watch good football. Is that too much to ask? Yeah, let's actually move on to that. I mean, I forgot that we did not even preview tonight's game against the Bengals Ravens. You just mentioned it, Zach. I mean, for once, we actually have a good Thursday night matchup. And I realized that we actually didn't get to it earlier. So let's just touch on that real fast Mm -hmm. before, you know, me and you, Justin, move on with our complaintives. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be an awesome game, guys. Uh, Bengals, Ravens, obviously both coming off losses, and they want to get back to their winning ways. So let's, um, you know, let's break this down, down real fast. Ravens lead the league in rushing and rushing back. Gus Edwards, absolutely been a monster for the Ravens, leads the team in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. And, you know, let's, I mean, Ravens obviously played the Bengals in week two. That was a close matchup. Bengals are not the same team they were when they faced each other back in week two, though. Joe Burrow had a lot of health concerns and he's back, though. Bengals are tied for the league lead in turnover differentials and plus 10. Last Sunday alone, they generated three turnovers from a Houston team that had committed just five all season. So this is going to be a juggernaut. AFC North matchup always is a juggernaut. What else do you guys have to met? Uh, what's your biggest like things to look into or look out for? Uh, is this a must when, win for the know, Bengals? Really good prime. Is this matchup. a must win? I would say so. Definitely, I'd say this is a must win for the Bengals. They've already lost to the Ravens. Their schedule is definitely not as tough as let's say the Bills, but. I, I'd say they have to win this game or else they're going to be in last place in that division at 5-5. Five and five. Well, they're certainly not going to win the division, and that's the case. And with the uh, injury to Deshaun Watson with the Steelers about due to crash back down to earth at any time, this feels like a game that whoever wins this kind of is in control of the AFC North. You look at the Bengals' remaining schedule, it's doable. I mean, they've got the Steelers at Jags, Colts, Vikings at Steelers. I know they got at Chiefs and then the Browns. But it's a doable schedule for the Bengals if they're able to win this game. And by the way, Joe Burrow has historically lit up the Ravens. I mean, what we've seen out of them the last couple of years, he's had a couple 500-yard games, beat them in the playoffs last year. This is a team that the Ravens have to get over. And both teams coming off very emotional losses on Sunday, both coming off just four days of rest leading into this game. Bengals probably going to be without T. Higgins, but the Ravens we know are banged up as well. So is this going to be a game where the Bengals passing game rules, or is it going to be the Ravens running game that kind of rules the day? And think about what the Ravens have done at home this year with the exception of the Browns game. They've dominated Detroit, dominated Seattle, so they've been very good at home. And if they win this game, they are pretty much in control of that division because they will have held the tiebreaker against the Bengals because they would have swept them. So this is a must win for the Bengals, I think, to have any shot at the division. For the Ravens, they win this game. They have a chance maybe at the one seed in the AFC. I cannot wait for this game. Yeah, um, since their skid earlier in the year, over the last four games, the Bengals have been averaging 354 yards per game. Uh, that ranks sixth in the NFL. So it's either going to, you know, Ravens are going to try to win the ball on the ground. Bengals going to try to win the game. Uh, Ravens going to try to win the game on the ground, and then the Bengals will try to win the game in the air for sure. And it's going to be an absolute juggernaut. You say Bengals, it might be a must win for the Bengals. I mean, you can argue this is a must win for the Ravens too. I mean, they have the Chargers coming up, Rams, Jaguars, 49ers, Dolphins, Steelers, obviously still super, super contentious AFC North. Surprisingly with, you know, Browns and the Steelers hanging in there as long as they have. I mean, we'll talk to Ray in a second here about the Steelers, but Browns, even without their, you know, Deshaun Watson for most of the year and the offensive struggles they've been having, even they are still in it. So I'm going to argue this is still, this is actually going to be a must win for the Ravens too. Sure. Know, the, you know, the games they have coming down the stretch. And given that AFC North is by no means locked in right now, not even close to locked in, and they still will need at least at least nine wins, if not 10 wins, to uh, to make it to the playoffs. So, 
I think Ravens will be okay, but it's definitely not a game the Ravens don't want to take seriously either. Let's move on to complaintives. Finish up complaintives. Went on a little bit of a tangent there. Uh, I'm going to keep it in the NFL, though, for my complaintives. Uh, Falcons still have not fired Arthur Smith. I think this is a big mistake for the Falcons. Falcons not utilizing their stars on offense. Done a little bit better the last couple weeks, but, I mean, you should not have Juno Smith over Kyle Pitts. Juno Smith should not be getting more touches and more uh, receptions than Kyle Pitts. Not using B. John Robinson a lot either. Um, you know, Tyler Algier has not really been using been used too much either. Poor QB decisions. Nothing was really glaring more than that over, you know, when they lost to Minnesota two weeks ago. Falcons definitely not looking like a good team. Arthur Smith should not still be the coach, and they need to move on from him, do something different, get a different change of pace on offense, especially use their stars more. And, yeah, overall, Heineke, Ritter, not really the problem. Well, they are the problem, but it's also a lot of the play calling on offense as well, and I think they need to, they, they need to change pace in, uh, in Arizona uh, or Atlanta, excuse me. Justin, what is your complaintive of the week? So my complaintive of the week is the college football scheduling. Not all rivalries are playing in week 13 when it's rivalry week. Kansas State and Kansas are playing this weekend instead of next weekend. College football should have done a better job scheduling rivalry week as for, for Kansas and Kansas State. And basically for all the rivals, should be should be rivalry week altogether instead of just, you know, one yeah. game this week. I mean, it should be one game this week, but all the rivalries, all the especially in-state rivals like Kansas State, Kansas, Alabama, Auburn next week, obviously, should all be playing next weekend. Yeah, a lot of it's the, um, you know, a lot of it's the conference realignments to kind of make that iffy. It's, I mean, Pitt should be playing. Yeah, you know, uh, Pitt should be playing like West Virginia, but they can't do that obviously anymore. There's a lot of other examples. I know the the whole conference realignment in general has kind of made it pretty hard to make the rivalry matchups in rivalry week, which of course is always week 13. We'll break down all of that next week, though. On you know probably on Wednesday's show before Thanksgiving, we'll probably post next uh, post our show for college next week on Wednesday, getting you ready for all the games uh, on Thanksgiving and beyond going into rivalry week. Before then, though, guys, let's move on to our interview with Ray Fittipato, recurring guest. Awesome, awesome interview. Talked about AFC North at length on this show. Ravens, Bengals, obviously playing tonight. We're going to break down the Steelers, though. Their, their season so far, you know, they're 6-3 and three in the AFC North. No one would have, no one really would have thought that so far, especially with the way their offense has been playing. You know, we're going to break down all that. You know, their playoff uh, outlook just going forward and just the second half of the season in general going forward for the Steelers. So without further ado, let's head to Pittsburgh and talk to Ray. Okay, we now head to Pittsburgh and bring back on recurring guest Ray Fittipato from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Ray, had you back on about mid-March um, before the season started, NFL season started this year. Had to have you back on again. Sixers, or, <laughs> Sixers, Steelers find themselves 6-3 and three, heading into this weekend against the Browns. How pivotal is this game coming up, given that the AFC North is still wide open at this point? Uh, Ravens, Bengals going to fight, uh, going to fight themselves tonight on Thursday night, tire themselves out, uh, fight them, you know, give themselves a nice battle. Pittsburgh sitting out in the background looking in. What give me like a sense of how big this game coming up Sunday is uh, for the Steelers heading in, you know, the second half of this season? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's huge when you look at. The result from Thursday night, you know, if the Bengals knock off the Ravens, 
the winner of the Steelers-Browns game will be in first place in the AFC North with only seven games to go. So, um, yeah, from, from that perspective, it, it's it's really big. Um, and, you know, the added layer this week was, was the news yesterday on Wednesday that Deshaun Watson was out for the season, and now the Steelers mm-hmm. are going to face rookie quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Uh, so, um, you know, I don't know if that's a break for the Steelers. You know, the, the Browns still have a really good defense, but I'm sure they'd be – they would rather be facing a rookie rather than Deshaun Watson, who actually, despite an up-and-down season, played really well in the second half against the Ravens last week. What is it about this team that finds a way to get wins despite continuously being outgained by their opponents? I mean, every single weekend, uh, point I mean, not points, obviously, but like yardage, they're continuously outgained. One of the few uh, teams with a winning record that, you know, have an actual negative point differential as well. What is it about this team that helps them get out these gritty wins, uh, you know, despite their opponents, like I said, outgaining them uh, in, in total yardage? Yeah, they're actually tied for first in the league in forced turnovers with 18. And they're also tied for the best turnover margin. They're a plus 10. Um, so that's been huge for them. You know, they've had a great ability um, to turn the other team over on defense. You know, this first game against the Browns in week two, they intercepted Deshaun Watson on the first play of the game. We're up 7-0 early. And then they needed another uh, late defensive touchdown from T.J. Watt to, to win that game 26-22. to um, And then the other side of that is, is you know, the offense's uh, ability to protect the football. You know, they're not a very good offense statistically. Um, their points per game are among the worst in the NFL. But Kenny Pickett has not turned the ball over in the last five games. So when you don't turn it over and when you create turnovers at the clip of about two per, t- uh, two per game, you're going to have a pretty good chance of winning almost every single week. Yeah, let's talk about that, though. I mean, Matt Canada, I know we talked about it mid-March when we had you on again. I know you've talked about it at length already before. It's a very, very hot topic in Pittsburgh right now. Matt Canada, many people are not happy with him. What's, you know, how short is his leash right now, given that the Steelers are 6-3? and three, I mean, they've been winning games, playing, you know, getting the job done, all things considered, I guess you can say. Like, what has his leash kind of increased since the start of the season, given that they, a lot of people would say Steelers have a better record than people would expect them to have, you know, going into this yeah. uh, into this year? Listen, they're, they're not going to make a change now. If they were going to make a change, they would have made it at the bye week. And, you know, I thought it was interesting – this week, you know, the Bills fired Ken Dorsey uh, on Tuesday mm-hmm. after they lost on Monday night. And the Buffalo Bills have one of the top offenses statistically in the NFL. Now, their issue is turnovers. So it, it's kind of funny how that played out. You know, there's a lot of people yep. here in Pittsburgh who would love to have the stats of the Buffalo Bills. But when you look at it and you look at the records um, and you look at what happened this week, it seems like the Steelers – kind of have a good formula you know it's been a winning formula it might not be pretty at times but it's worked for them so far this season now having said that on Tuesday Mike Tomlin was pretty open with us at his weekly news conference you know he came out and said Kenny Pickett has to play better than he has so you know there's going to come a point in time might not be this week against the Browns and a rookie quarterback but there's going to come a time when the Steelers are going to have to outscore somebody to win a game. And at that point, Kenny Pickett and Mike Tallman and Mike Canada 
they're going to have to take the reins off their young quarterback, and they're going to have to let him try to win some games. But as for right now, he's he's the perfect game manager. Doesn't turn the ball over. Does what he has to yep. has to do to, to to win games. And uh, you know, like you said, they're six and three, and they're a half a game out of first place in the AFC North. Bringing in the national perspective here a little bit, a lot of people in the nat, you know, and I know it's locally in Pittsburgh too. I'm sure they're saying this. Kenny Pickett, tail a man of one quarter mostly. I mean, he doesn't, you know, kind of explosive in the fourth quarter. Doesn't really put teams away in the third. Kind of uh, sits back a little bit. Plays, you know, more of a play caller, like more of a play caller, game manager in the third, and then oh, you know, gets it done in the fourth. You know, puts teams away in the fourth. Or people want to see more explosiveness early on in the game from him and like more uh, production early on in the game. Yeah, I mean, they, they've actually had that the last two weeks against the Packers. They scored touchdowns on their first two drives, and then they kicked a field goal on their third drive. Now, unfortunately for them, it kind of stalled from there. You know, they had to settle for field goals in the second half, and they had to eke out that victory 23-19. to So we actually have seen signs that the offense is improving, but what they're waiting for, what the fans are waiting for, is that full 60-minute effort, um, consistent offensive football for all four quarters. Um you know, the one constant, as you noted, what has been the fourth quarter, Kenny Pickett has been money in the fourth quarter. And everyone around here, including the coaches, to be honest with you, they're trying to figure out why Kenny Pickett can't play that way in quarter one, quarter two, quarter three. And when he does, I think they'll have a pretty good offense. But, you know, as of right now, it's it's still among the bottom of the league in the stats when you when you look at total offense, scoring offense, um, passing offense, the rushing offense has been better, but um, you know statistically they don't just they, they don't measure up, but they they do in the win column, and you know at this point that's that's all that matters. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Uh, if you're going back to last year, Pittsburgh twelve and five uh, over their you know whatever how many games that is, and but they've only outscored opponents nine points in the in that whole you know impressive uh, record that they had. You know, like I said, going back to last calendar year. Tell me about how big it's going to be when Pat Frymuth returns. I know a big flack that uh, Steelers are getting, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is they throw the ball to the outside too much, not really utilizing the middle of the field as much as they should. It's you know decreasing the, the explosive plays, you know, not getting as much yardage after pass. So explain to me how much Pat is going to help that when he returns and just how much it could you know help the offense even improve even more than what we're saying now. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. They, they don't throw over the middle of the field a lot. And part of the reason for that is Fryermuth has been out for the last five weeks with a hamstring injury. So getting him back, um, he'll be a good target for Kenny Pickett, kind of like a, a check down safe type of target, um, you know, for him in the middle of the field. And that, you know, should open up more opportunities for one-on-ones with Deontay Johnson and George Pickens um, on the outside. So, you know, Pickens was really good early in the year, you know, for the first seven or eight weeks. Teams have been double covering him a lot recently. So, you know, with Deontay Johnson back from injury now and with Fryermuth back from injury now, you know, they're going to have to pick their poison. They're not going to be able to double cover everyone. And that should be some more opportunities uh, for Fryermuth and for all those guys, really, when you break it down. Yeah, I mean, tell me how excited the Steelers fans are about this run game that they saw last week. I mean, 183 yards combined for Jalen Warren. Uh, for Harris and Warren, I mean, excuse me, uh, last weekend. 
Uh, Harris scored on the opening drive, something that the Steelers don't really do much. They've been struggling to do all season long, really. So how excited are the Steelers fans for this, you know, rushing output that they saw last weekend? And, you know, especially their optimism, if it can continue to go forward, you know, down the stretch of the season. Yeah, I mean, they, they've been searching for an offensive identity all season, and it seems like they they finally have it. You know, the passing game hasn't been there on a consistent basis. Um, you know, it's been sporadic, I, I think, to be kind. But when you have a running game, you know, that can churn out, you know, 150 or 200 yards a game like they have the past two weeks, it's something you can hang your hat on, you know. Um, you know, you don't have to be a quote-unquote run-first team. You can still pass on first downs. But when it's time to run the ball, you have to have an efficient running game. And that's that's really, uh, you know, been played out when you look at, you know, the yards per carry average of, of Jalen Warren. I mean, um, you know, the Titans game uh, a couple of Thursday nights ago, he averaged eight yards per carry. Um, even this last week, he had more carries, but he was still very efficient. Um, with his run. So um, it's been something they've been working towards. Um, and uh, like I said, it's something that they can really hang their hat on. I think as the weather turns bad up north here, um, I think that mm-hmm. the running game is going to be something that they can count on in the second half of the season. Yeah, for sure. Especially with the opponents they have coming up. Uh, Steelers came in the last week 31st on first down per game and 30th in the league in first down per play. Would you say that's one of the biggest things the offense could fix to help them? I mean, I know we already talked at length about the offense in general, you know, what they've been producing so far and what to expect going forward, but just getting, you know, more first downs to help increase that, you know, drive. Their drives are too short right now. They're not having the ball as much, you know, on offense. So if that could be fixed, just explain to me like how vital that would be for the offense to, to you know, get some more points in the game yeah. week in and week out. Yeah, that's a great point because Matt Canada said that last week before the Titans game, um, you just need to to get a couple of first downs on that first drive, and then you start feeling better about yourself. You know, early in the season, they were three and out, three and out, three and out, and before you know it, you know, it's the second quarter, and you, you've run six plays. But, you know, that Packers game was a great example. Um, I want to say it was an eight or ten pl- uh, play drive. Um, they go down, they, you know, it's capped off by a Najee Harris four-yard run. And it just builds confidence. And the next time they get the ball, it's the same thing. They march down the field and they score another touchdown. So that number probably is going to be – it's not going to be great for the rest of the season because they were so bad for such a long stretch. But as long as they continue to do what they did, um, you know, early in the Titans game and early in the Packers game, and then you you, you build off that as the game goes on, um, you know, that will be something that's, that's better for them here in the second half of the season, I think. Do you think, in uh, you know, in your unbiased opinion, the best as possible? Do you think they're probably one of the most shaky six and three teams in the league? Yeah, I mean, it depends upon how you know what your outlook is. I, you know, I think, you know, kind of one of the storylines here in Pittsburgh for the first half of the season was, is this model sustainable? You know, can you continue to win all these one score games um, and have such a small margin for error? But you know, to their credit, um, they've done it. Um, so at some point, people have to believe in what they're doing. Um, you know, we'll see if it works. They got a tough schedule coming up, you know, even though they'll be facing a rookie quarterback in Cleveland. This is the first of two road games against AFC North teams. They're on the road uh, the following week in Cincinnati. So the schedule is going to get tougher. Um, of their final eight games, five are on the road. So, you know, we'll, we'll see 
what happens here in the second half of the season. But, uh, yeah, at some point people are going to start believing in what the Steelers do. Um, they're, they're pretty good at it, and I, I don't think their model, to be quite honest with you, I don't think it's going to change a whole heck of a lot over the final eight games. So I have a little bit of a schedule sandwich coming up here. I mean, they have obviously the Browns coming up. We'll get to that in a second. Bengals then, and then the Cardinals, Patriots, and Colts in between that, but then the Bengals, Seahawks, and Ravens finishing out the season. It's kind of a weird, uh, hard, easy, and then easier and then hard. Uh, definitely we can expect Mike Tomlin to get those three wins, get that winning season yeah. once again uh, for him, and I think that will happen. But I do want to move on to the game coming up this Sunday. Talk a little bit more about that. Browns, you wrote an awesome article uh, Post Gazette, Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Uh, gotta watch, you know. Gotta listen. Gotta read your stuff. People have to read your stuff. Uh, Steelers fans or just football fans in general, you make awesome stuff, Ray. But I do want to touch base on the article a little bit that you wrote. Uh, this, you know, this comes out on Thursday, but this would have been on Tuesday. This came out. You mentioned about how a big storyline coming up this weekend with the Browns is T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett facing off. Uh, you know probably the two front runners for defensive player of the year right now. And how that's not really something that people are really talking about enough. Yeah. I mean, TJ Watt, uh, he won defensive player of the year in 2021 had the pectoral injury last year that, you know, forced him to miss half of the season, but you know, he's right back to, you know, doing what he he's always done. I mean, he's on pace for 20 sacks, I mentioned that defensive touchdown in week two that won that Browns game. He's just – he's always around the ball. And um, it's not just with his pass rush skills, too. He's got a pick. Um, he intercepted Matthew Stafford in that uh, game against the Rams in L.A. That turned that game completely around. They were losing 9-3 to at that point. Rams got the ball to open the second half, and then he makes that play and, uh, you know, returns it to, to inside the 10-yard line. And the Steelers, uh, you know, go on to win from there. So, um He's been a terrific player for a long time, but I think he's he's finally getting his due here, um, you know, in the national media. And then you look at Garrett, you know, kind of opposite the Watt. You know, Watt, number 30 overall pick, kind of under the radar. Miles Garrett, number one overall pick, hasn't always lived up to the, to the pedigree, you know, to be honest with you. He's kind of, um, you know, had some up and down seasons, but finally he seems like he's coming into his own now. He's right there with Watt and Sacks. Um, he's right there with Watt and Pressure. So, you know, it's a good good little sidebar to Sunday's game. I think, you know, the, the whoever does well in, in this game might not win DPOY, but I, I think if Watt outshines him again, as he's done a lot over the last couple of years, I think it'll be a big step for Watt towards winning his second DPOY. Yeah, I know you mentioned it in your article that you wrote a little bit. I mean, comparing uh, Watt and uh, Garrett this year, Watt 10 and a half sacks, Garrett 11, I think it is. And then uh, Watt three fumble recoveries and then Garrett with one. And then uh, Watt with two forced fumbles and Garrett, or, yeah, Garrett with four forced fumbles. Almost mirror images of each other, uh, mirror images of each other, excuse me. And like you said, early in their career, what not so much, but definitely, you know, they came into play be one of the most explosive uh, defensive players in the league right now. How big is this game just in general? I don't want to like, ask the question again, but it, in consideration with the fact that they're facing a rookie quarterback, I mean, the expectation that they're going to win this game, surprisingly, they're opening up, uh, you know, as it stands now on FanDuel, they're still two point underdogs to the Browns. Do you think this is fair? Do you think this is right? Like given that, like they do have this, you know, rookie quarterback that they're going to be facing against. 
Yeah, I saw another side. I think it was on DraftKings. They went from a four-point dog to a one-point dog. So, mm-hmm. you know, people think losing Deshaun Watson and having to play with a rookie is worth worth a field goal in that game, which is interesting. Uh, I'm not completely surprised that the Browns are still a favorite. You know, you look at that defense; it's still really good. I know they weren't they aren't as good as they were in the first you know, four or five games of the season when they were really, you know, on a record pace in terms of, of yards allowed per game. Um, but it's still a really good defense, and they have a good running game. I mean, I give Kevin Stefanski credit, you know. When, <clears throat> when they lost um, Nick Chubb in week two, people thought, okay, you know, the Browns offense is going to uh, suffer. But they're number two in the league in rushing 148 yards per game, so – they still have that run first mentality. And, you know, when you couple that with a good defense, um, you're going to be in a lot of games. And um, they, they've done a pretty good job here. Like the Steelers, they're 6-3. and three, And uh, if they win this game, I think it's going to give them all the confidence in the world, right? I mean, you win with a rookie, you still rely on your defense. That's something that, uh, you know, they can really use as a stepping stone uh, here for the rest of the season if they win that game. Yeah, I mean, like you said, too, win against – the best defense in the league, too. Most importantly, that's another confidence boost for the team and the fans going forward. That being said, I always ask this, Ray, what is the expectations, like what is a successful season for the fans of Pittsburgh this year? Given, like maybe before the season started, maybe even now that they're six and three, like, and like I said earlier, maybe something that's a record that many people were not expecting at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I had expectations that they could win nine or 10 games you know, before the season started, I thought, quite honestly, if they made the playoffs, they would be a wild card. But when you look at the AFC North now, you know, the Ravens are starting to, you know, you know, they're leaking a little bit there with their defense. Um, they've come back to the pack. And then the Bengals, with these, these slow starts every year, they just put themselves in a bind. I still think the Bengals might be the best team in the division, but they got a first-place schedule. And they just, they're just kind of behind the pack now because they, they've lost, uh, you know, they've lost some games they probably should have won here in the first half of the season. So, you know, the expectations before the season to what they are now, pretty similar. But, you know, in reality, the Steelers have a pretty decent shot to win the AFC North. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people in Pittsburgh thought that would happen if, if you would have asked them back in August. Talk about the playoffs, though. I mean, like I said, uh, and you said, too, Steelers well on their way to the playoffs uh, in a comfortable position right now, heading into the second half of the season to make the playoffs, if not be a wild card spot. Uh, Mike Tomlin hasn't won a playoff game in six years, though. So tell me, like, just break it down to me in that regard. I mean, obviously never had a losing season with the, Pittsburgh, with the Steelers, but hasn't won a playoff game in a long time either. So kind of take me through, you know, that mindset with the fans. Do they want to, you know, making the playoffs is great, but do they really, yeah. really want to see that playoff game too, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you look at their last playoff appearance. They got in as a low seed. They went to Kansas City. I think the Chiefs ended up winning the, the Super Bowl that year. Uh, that was 2021. Um, and they just got their doors blown off by a, by a better football team. Um, you know, if you go back to 2020, um, you know, they, they, they were a good team for most of that season, but they kind of started leaking towards the end there, and they, they lose to the Browns in the first round. Um, another game. They, they, they just played terribly. And then you go back to 2017, their previous playoff appearance, they were the number two seed and they lost at home to the Jaguars and they gave up 45 points in the process. So it's kind of been disastrous here, you know, since 2016. 
since they, they lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. You know, it's something different every year. It's not just one thing in that Jaguars game or that Browns game or that Chiefs game. It's, it's just that they haven't put together, um, you know, quality enough teams to, to really be competitive in those games. So we'll see if this season is any different. You know, 6-3, and three, they got to get there first. But um, got a pretty good defense. Um, you know, still got some questions about their offense. But you go into the playoff game, a playoff game with that defense, I think you'll have a, a puncher's chance no matter what. Ray, this has been great. I do want to ask you one more question. They'll have to do this again sometime for sure. Definitely do it again maybe, you know, later down in the season if they make the playoffs, make a run in the playoffs. But that being said, I do want to ask you, you kind of mentioned already, especially on the offensive side of the ball, you don't really expect the Steelers to really change up anything going down the stretch here. But that being said, if they were to figure out maybe one or two things on offense, you know, clear up a lot of these things that we talked about in this interview, could you expect the Steelers to be a pretty scary team going into the playoffs, kind of catch fire at the right time and give a lot of teams a run for their money in the playoffs? And again, that's with the consideration that they, you know, fix up a couple of things on the offensive side of the ball, get the, you know, get the game going earlier than the fourth quarter and, you know, get some more explosive plays to really put these teams away. Do you think they can really be a scary team, a team that no one wants to face in the playoffs? Yeah, I, you know, I think anything's possible. If you look at um, Tennessee Titans a couple of years ago, kind of a similar team. You know, Ryan Tannehill's a quarterback, mm-hmm. and, you know, he's, he's better than Kenny Pickett, but, you know, they're kind of similar. Run first teams, good defense, and the Titans made a run to the AFC Championship game with a similar team, I think it was back in 2019. So, you know, w- would they be a favorite if they, if they made it into the pro- uh, playoffs? No, probably not. But like I said, anytime you got a defense um, that can turn the ball over the way they do, superstars at every level, you know, TJ Watt um, on the first level, Minkus Fitzpatrick on the second level, they're going to get him back probably in a week or two. He's been out with a hamstring injury. So even once they get healthy, if they can t- continue to, to uh, you know, force turnovers the way they have, um, they'll be a tough out for anyone in the postseason. All right, Ray, this has been really fun, man. As always, have to do this again. Love to have you on. Second time now, recurring guest. We'll do it again also in the future. Maybe, like I said, let's let's see the, let's see the Steelers go to the playoffs. We'll have you on maybe at that point. Maybe they can make a run, and we'll, we'll see where they are at that point in the year. All right. Appreciate it, Jared. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Ray. We'll do it again sometime. See you. Talk soon. Okay. Okay. Awesome, awesome interview with Ray. Going to have him on again shortly. Super excited for that. Let's finish up this show, though. Justin, finish us off. Start us off, I should say, with our makers and fakers of the week. What is your maker of the week? Well, my maker of the week is the Cleveland Browns. Even though Deshaun Watson being out for the season with the shoulder surgery, uh, that I they still had an impressive win against the Baltimore Ravens, 33-31. to The Ravens coming all the way back from a 31-17 deficit. I'm sorry, the Browns coming back from a 31-17 deficit against the Ravens. These are games that they usually do not win when they're down 31 to 17. And that's been the Cleveland Browns for the past decade or two. So they've came back. So they came back to beat the Ravens, obviously 33, 31. That was definitely a close game and an upset uh, last week. And for the Browns, unfortunately the Deshaun Watson injury is, is hurting. It will hurt them, but still I think they will be in football games with the number one ranked defense in the NFL, but a very impressive win against the Ravens and a divisional game that they stole in Baltimore. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Dylan Gabriel for my maker of the week. Of course, one of us had to have Dylan Gabriel this week. Eight touchdowns all together. Um, you know, he stopped the bleeding for an Oklahoma team that desperately, desperately needed the change pace badly after their you know the previous two weeks losses. And yeah, I mean, so this is awesome game for him. Awesome game for Oklahoma. Twenty three for thirty six for four hundred twenty three yards passing with five touchdowns. He he ran the ball eleven times as well for 50 yards and three touchdowns. And like I said, eight touchdowns all together for him on the day. Absolutely amazing day for him. Amazing day for Dylan Gabriel and amazing for Oklahoma in general because they desperately needed a win after the rough stretch they've been having. Zach, what is your maker? Marvin Harrison Jr., the best player in all of college football, three touchdowns against Michigan State, and he did it in a quarter and five seconds. I mean, he had a rushing touchdown, two receiving touchdowns. Look at what he's done over the last month or so. He's either had 100 yards or he's had two touchdowns in every game this season. He is the Ohio State offense. He is the best wide receiver prospect, I think, since Calvin Johnson. He can do everything. He can catch the ball. He's got great speed, terrific route runner, great catching the ball in traffic. There is no weakness with Marvin Harrison Jr. If Devontae Smith could win the Heisman a couple of years ago for Alabama playing on a loaded offense, Marvin Harrison Jr. can win the Heisman playing for an Ohio State offense that's really good. But he is the reason why Ohio State is undefeated, why they're the number two team, why they've got a chance to win the national championship. He's going to dominate the next level, and he's dominating this level. Marvin Harrison Jr., maker of the week. Yeah, unfortunately, the quarterbacks are too good, though. He's not going to win Heisman. There's no way. But If he yeah, goes I mean, off against Michigan, I think he could. You need a lot of help, though. The quarterback class is just too stacked. Sure. Drake May obviously is amazing. Bo Nix has been playing amazing. Michael Penix probably is a little bit out of it now, and Caleb Williams is for sure out of it. But overall, the quarterback, if the quarterback, what, uh, you know, if the quarterbacks weren't so stacked this year, he absolutely would be in the front running to win it. And like you said, Zach, he's been pretty much the entire yeah. offense for uh, Ohio State. Justin, what is your faker of the week? My faker of the week is Tyler Boyd for the Bengals. He should have caught that ball at the end of the game against the Houston Texans. Obviously, he is not having the best season himself. Obviously, he's got to step up with T. Higgins on IR. 44 catches, 417 yards, and two touchdowns on the season for Tyler Boyd. But he should have caught that ball, and the Bengals probably would have beaten the Texans to hang on for that win. I'm going to go with Kyle Neptune for my faker of the week, Villanova head coach. Um, yeah, he's done nothing to help the team since Jay Wright left. Nova missed the tournament last year, as we all know. They just lost the pen this year. Villanova should not be losing the pen. I know it's an in-city rival, but Villanova definitely, definitely should not be losing to a team in the Ivy League. Uh, much, much better than that. They're still figuring out the rotation. Can't figure that out. Can't figure out the offense. Luckily, they face off against another struggling team in Maryland on Friday, but uh, yes, tomorrow, but still, Villanova just in general, since the departure of Jay Wright, Kyle Neptune has not gotten this team back to their winning ways, back to the expectation the team needs to be at. And yeah, so Kyle, Kyle Neptune, he's on. He's my faker of the week, definitely on a long-term faker watch for me in general. Zach, finish up the show. What is your faker of Jerome the Jerome Moore and his speech after the Michigan-Penn State game, like acting like Jim Harbaugh died, acting like these guys are victims. Like, what are we talking about here? You guys created your own adversity. You guys cheated, and now you're having to live with the results of it and, you know, using the Lord's name and then dropping multiple F-bombs on national television. That's sure to be a great life lesson and a great way to uh, get all those kids to want to come play for you. Like, I'm just – I'm not even speaking as an Ohio State fan. I'm speaking as a college football fan. I'm tired of the Michigan arrogance. I'm tired of the 
you know, we're victims in this whole thing. I'm tired of the president tweeting stuff like we are going through a hard time. Like you're the university president and you're condoning all this stuff. Don't try and tell me later that if a student is plagiarizing or cheating on a test that you're going to throw them out because you can't have it both ways. They, these guys don't understand the weight of what they did. They don't understand how they affected the competitive nature of the game. And they're just trying to be the villain of college football. And they're trying to act like they're the victims. And that, that speech after the game was just an embarrassment. And I'm tired of Michigan acting this way. Yeah, they might. I mean, they might be victims soon. Jim Har- I mean, Hardball won't be the victim, of course, but because he'll be probably gone, yeah. and you know, he, he's not going to really affect him too much. But this school, for sure, might be victims. Uh, we'll see what happens with the NCAA and what you know, whenever the heck they get to the rolling, who knows what the rate they they move at. All right, guys, awesome show. Do this again on Saturday as well, like we always do. Still figuring out the guests, but as always, awesome conversation with with whoever we have. Awesome guests coming up. Uh, But we'll do it all again Saturday and keep then until then keep on traveling.